This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Charles Ardai. Of Hard Case Crime. And Gabriel Hunt. And Gabriel Hunt. Hard Case Crime is basically my favorite paper book line ever. Ah, oh, thanks. I don't know how I justified to myself the explanation of why I would be talking about paper books on a website about audio, but eventually there were <laughs> audiobook versions. That, that's, that's right. We had uh, we published 66 books in paperback, and of those, probably a dozen or a little bit more than a dozen have been turned into audiobooks by BBC Audiobooks America and uh, another one or two by other companies. So I, I've been delighted to see audiobook editions come out, but... You know, I'd like to think that people who listen to audiobooks might pick up a paperback now and then. Uh, absolutely. I, I totally do. Iambic has one coming out, and I can't remember the title, but uh, I, I remember talking with one of the potential narrators, and he was very excited about, about the book. So it's, it's one, of, one yeah, of them. They're doing two, actually. Uh, and we may do more afterwards. The, uh, the Iambic folks are very enthusiastic about working with small uh, presses and trying to bring new voices into the audio community. Too often, audiobooks are limited to the, the big names, and so some of the books that are just terrific and would work wonderfully on audio never get produced on audio because they're not Robert Ludlum, Mickey Spillane, Stephen King, and so on. So one of the nice things about Iambic is that they're working with some authors who are less well-known, but the books are great. Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised to see your your uh, first book in the series. Uh, it was that book two, um, and your first your first novel, first published novel anyways. It wasn't it hasn't been turned into an audiobook yet. Little Girl Lost. You know, Little Girl Lost, it's an interesting thing. Little Girl Lost, we recently sold the movie rights to, uh, to Universal. So that might or might not eventually become a movie. If that happens, I'm guessing that probably the profile of the book will be raised and you see major audio companies uh, express an interest in it. But actually, we did turn it into an audio book. It's just very little known. Uh, We worked with Audible. And it's only available by download. There are no physical copies that you can get in stores. But Audible did turn both Little Girl Lost and sequel Songs of Innocence uh, in, into an audiobook. Generally, I don't disclose all sorts of top secret information about how books are selling, but I'll tell you that neither Little Girl Lost nor uh, Songs of Innocence has sold more than a handful of copies in audiobook, in large part because it hasn't been promoted. To be fair, I haven't done much to promote it, and uh, I don't think Audible has either. And so they exist, they are available. I think if you go on Amazon, you can probably dig them up. But nobody knows about it, so it's it's the best kept secret in the audiobook world. It's it's an incredibly well kept secret. I just did a search; it it doesn't show up. But I'll I'll just uh-huh. uh, I'll try yeah. a couple other things. Uh, I'll try a no wonder the I'm, title. I'm not getting any royalties. That explains yeah. it. Yeah, Songs of Innocence. I'll try that one. Innocence. Sure, give it give it a shot. Uh, I have heard the uh, the recording of Little Girl Lost. I don't remember if I've heard Songs of Innocence yet. I know I got a call from the leader who was performing it. There are a number of uh, Hungarian names and place names that are not necessarily obvious how to pronounce. So he called to ask me questions about that, and uh, I was delighted to give him the answers. Wow. That, that is shocking news to me because I, I thought I was on top of uh... – Well, you of all people, you're, you're the expert in the field. But uh, I, I think what this means is that I really ought to send an email to everyone on the hard case crime mailing list, which is a few thousand people at this point, and tell them if you like audiobooks, here are a few titles you might not have heard about, including the two iambic titles that I think aren't available yet but will be soon, uh, the two Audible titles. Actually, Audible did three. They also did uh, – they also did the confession by Dominic Stansberry, which won the Edgar the Edgar Allan Poe Award back in 2005. And uh, I think the UK branch of Audible may have done an audio version of Krista Faust's novel. Money oh Talks. no way! So, really? 
I think they, well, we didn't work on that with them. We weren't part of the deal, but I think they bought the rights from Krista and released it in the UK with its own new cover art. Uh, but I, I haven't seen a copy, so I don't wow. know. Wow, that's amazing, because uh, uh, that's, that's one of my favorite books in the series. Oh, okay. It's a, well, you're, ama- an amazing well, book, and you picked her as one of the people to do the Gabriel Hunt book as well, right? That, that's right. She uh, and I were eating cheesesteaks in Philadelphia at a convention called NoirCon, and I said, I have this idea for uh, doing a line of books that would be sort of in the spirit of Indiana Jones, but also in the spirit of the old Stratemeyer Syndicate books where you'd have a series like Bobsy Twins or Hardy Boys, and they'd all be written by a fictitious author. You know, Franklin W. Dixon, who wrote all the Hardy Boys books, didn't exist. It was a house name. And I said, why don't we create a house name of our own and, uh, and do this new series? Sure enough, she was excited. So she, uh, she decided to do one. I decided to do one. And we rounded up four other friends, and that's how Gabriel Hunt was born. I'm, I've, I've just found the Krista Faust novel, and it does have a different cover. It's still a good uh-huh. cover. It's not as amazing as the one that's on the cover of uh, the Hard Case Crime Edition. Uh-huh. Well, I'm glad that they got a good one. Uh, you know, we do have a second Krista Faust novel coming out in Hard Case Crime later this year when the series relaunches with its new publisher, Titan Books. Uh, the new book is called Chokehold. It's coming out in October, and it's the second story about the main character from Money Shot. It's not a sequel specifically in the sense that you have to have read the first one to enjoy the second. It's a standalone story. But it is the same character. It does follow up on, on uh, some of the events from the first book. And I think people will really like it. It, it adds, in, in addition to the uh, porn background, because, of course, the main character in Money Shot was a former porn star, we now get uh, the mixed martial arts world, because she has to bury a hot-headed young mixed martial artist, 19 years old, across the country, and there are people trying to kill them both. So we get, uh, we get to discover the world of of uh, ultraviolet fighting as well. Well, that actually, yeah, that does add quite a bit. You know, it's it's sort of an insider's. Uh, the the first book was a sort of an insider's uh, version, very noir, very hard boiled. It, it was it was it was sort of the epitome of the the newer hard case books, the ones that weren't reprints. To me, right, right. I know what you mean. Um, and of course, Krista knows people in that in that field, and it had a lot of authenticity. Uh, it's not an accident that a lot of the sort of trade newspapers and trade magazines of the adult film industry. Uh, wrote about the book, even though they don't generally run book reviews of paperback mystery novels, just because it covered the the world of, of you know adult filmmaking in a way that you don't generally see. It wasn't actually salacious. It wasn't titillating. It was more realistic. These are you know ordinary people leading ordinary lives, just doing something sort of unusual. And yeah, you know, there are bad apples there, and sometimes they're violent, and sometimes bad things happen. But it's not that there's something inherent about the porn industry any more than there's something inherent about I don't know the newspaper industry or podcasting. Uh, <laughs> And on that note, so we do we do have another Krista book coming out. We have a quarry book. You know, our readers, our longtime readers know that uh, Max Allen Collins, who is best known for writing Road to Perdition, uh, the graphic novel that became the movie starring uh, Tom Hanks and Paul Newman, uh, he wrote a series of books about a hitman named Quarry, and we published three of them over the last couple of years. He's got a fourth coming out. That's going to be an October title as well. So we're, we're excited. You know, we were sorry when Dorchester Publishing, our, our longtime publisher, got out of the business. They were having financial problems. and They decided to stop publishing paperback books. Uh, they're still in business, and we hope they come back in some way. But we were left stranded in August without a publisher, and we had to hunt around. And we were very fortunate that there were several companies that expressed interest in taking Hard Case Crime on. It was really gratifying. Uh, you know, it's not a huge moneymaker. The, the Hard Case Crime series, although profitable, is, is hardly a, uh, a source of bestsellers. Um, but in spite of that, several publishers said they, they enjoyed the work enough and they respected it enough that they wanted to be part of it. And we ended up selecting uh, Titan Books, which is based in London, but has a tremendous distribution relationship with Random House here in the U.S. And 
we're excited to relaunch the series next September. Well, it's it's actually a good thing in a way. I was very worried when I when I started first reading the the reports online that you know this was going to be the end of Hard Case, but it's great to hear that it's not going to be. And I know you're relaunching with a a new Lawrence Block novel, which I don't think you you've ever had a new one before. No, no, we, ne- we never had. We had some uh, novels by Lawrence Block that were so obscure that they might as well have been new because no one alive today had read them except Larry himself, and, and he hadn't read them in 50 years. Well, I, I had dug up a couple of the, the ones you know, <laughs> on a book. Well, something. right, I think Girl of the Long Green Heart had been yes. published three or four times, actually, and even Grifter's Game, although not under that title. Uh, some of the real rarities, like Kill and Castro, hadn't ever been. Yeah, I'd, but, I'd never uh, heard of that one, and I've been researching old Lawrence Block books for decades. Well, there are about a hundred of them out there that he hasn't acknowledged. So you've got, to, you've got your work cut out for you. But when he, he and I had lunch, we, we sat down and had lunch, and I told him about what was happening with Hard Case. And he had written the first Hard Case crime book. It wasn't an original for us. It was Grifter's Game, which was a 1960s book. Uh, but it was number one. And I said to him, wouldn't it be great, having been the first author of Hard Case crime the first time around, if you were also the first author the second time around? Uh, we're going to be renumbering the series instead of starting with uh, HCC-067 which is what we would be up to. Mm-hmm. We're going to be starting with uh, HCC's uh, 101. We're going to start with a new number one. And I said, wouldn't it be great, Larry, if you could be number one again? <laughs> uh, how, how can somebody say no to that? But the problem was we didn't have a book of his to do that, uh, that we wanted to. And we just started talking about this idea, you know, wouldn't it be great if you wrote an original novel for us, something he'd never done? And all the stars just happened to align just right. He had an idea for a book. He had a character he wanted to write about. It was unusually sexy. The, the, the element of sex was so pronounced in it that the, really the only way he and I both felt good about presenting it was in the pulpy style of Hard Case Crime. You, you wouldn't present it as a, uh, uh, you know, a very quiet, respectable, uh, you know, leather-bound edition type book. This is a book that demands a naked woman on the cover. And uh, we were more than happy to give it to him. So, uh, so when you see, in fact, it is by far the nakedest cover we've ever done. It's not on our website yet. It'll be up there in the next few weeks. And the book is called Getting Off, a novel of sex. And, and it's uh, coming out under Jill Emerson as the byline. Is well, that right? It, it's, it's kind of a, a, an inside joke. It, it, uh, Larry wrote seven books under the name Jill Emerson back in the late 60s and early 70s. And then he put that pseudonym to bed. And for years, he didn't acknowledge it. Eventually, he did acknowledge it. But the idea that he would ever write another Jill Emerson book never, uh, I, I think, never occurred to him. And then as he started writing this one, it started to feel more and more like his great old Jill Emerson, you know, sexy pulp novels. And so he came to me with the idea, what if we published it as, uh, by Lawrence Block writing as Jill Emerson. So when you see the final cover, Lawrence Block's pretty big yeah. on the cover, and Jill Emerson is not quite as big, but uh, it's there. And, I, you know, it's, it's part of the same tradition of using pseudonyms and uh, fake names and so on that makes paperback collecting so much fun and, and i was delighted to do it i thought it was a fun thing to do. uh yeah you know that's the other thing that you got you must be you i figure you're a book collector and you said i want to make the book series that i wanted to collect that i you know couldn't afford maybe um the 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 gold medal books right this is well that's it it's the gold medal <laughs> books it, it looks exactly like the the same sort of design but they they sort of lost their you know, as things change, they they lost the sure. the design, change a little bit, and sometimes the cover is not that great, and some of the books aren't that great. But <laughs> well, you're you're absolutely right, and you're in fact more right than you know, because when Max Phillips and I, my partner who created Hard Case Crime with me, when we sat down in 2001 and came up with the idea, the original idea we had, we said let's start a new line of books that's like the old gold medals, and then we said, you know, 
I wonder if the rights to the name gold medal might still be wow. available. And we never really investigated it. We pretty quickly decided, now nah, let's do something that's our own and, and we can own it. But the very first sketch we did was of a new gold medal book with a gold medal on it. And so it, it was very much inspired by that, although it was also inspired by the Dell Mapbacks, yeah. by the Ace Doubles. Uh, we did a double with two Lawrence, uh, not Lawrence Block, but some sort Robert of Block. with two Robert Blocks. Yeah. Uh, so we, we want to capture a little bit of the flavor of all the great old paperback imprints, even obscure ones like graphic books and lion books and nightstand books, which did all the sleeves, you know, so we're having a lot of fun with it. And of course, it's true of our books as well, if I'm being completely honest. Some of our books aren't as great, and some of our covers aren't as great, but I'm happy that our hit rate has been uh, pretty high. You know, if I'm, if I'm objective about it, which of course I'm not, I'd say out of 66 covers, there might be three or four that I think, eh, you know, those aren't that great. But that leaves 60 or so that are wonderful. I'm just thrilled with them. And uh, in fact, getting to work with the uh, the artists to produce these wonderful covers is one of the great pleasures of doing this line. You know? I, 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 I didn't even it. know uh, Robert McGinnis was still alive. I, I hadn't seen anything from him. You know, I'm trying to remember if uh, if I knew he was alive or not. I certainly didn't know he was working. And I was talking to one of our other painters, Len Orbick, who is a fantastic painter and a young guy. And we were talking about the painters we loved. And I mentioned Robert McGinnis. And he said, oh, you know, Bob's still working. And I couldn't believe it. And I got his phone number from Glenn, called him up. I was very shy. I was very nervous. And uh, Bob was not just a gentleman, but very enthusiastic about the idea of doing something for us. And that first cover, I thought maybe we'll get one and that'll be the end of it. But we've now done probably 10 or 11. In fact, about 10 feet away from me is an original Robert McGinnis painting that he just mailed me last week, which is probably his best yet. Uh, I mean, it's the best he's he's done for us. And that's saying a lot because he's done some gorgeous ones for us. But this one is so intricate and so beautiful. And it's going to be the cover of our second book after uh, after Lars Glock's Getting Off, which we haven't announced yet. But I can tell you it is a collaboration between two major writers. And uh, one of them is deceased and one of them is alive. Oh, uh, well, I could have some guesses. <laughs> All right. Well, I won't I won't confirm. Yeah, now, but it is. We, we will be announcing that one. That's soon. amazing. Um, uh, speaking of uh, authors recently deceased, um, I, well, I guess a couple of years ago, you have uh, uh, something I never thought I'd see again, um, the Donald Westlake book, Memory, which yeah. is, m- maybe it's not as noir or hard-boiled as, as uh, a lot of the other books in the series. It's an amazing book. We, we did a whole okay. show on it, and it was, it was an... That's great. I, I, have to, I have to listen to it. I've got to hear it. Uh, you know, memory was a tremendous find. You know, Amazing. We, we, we would never have known it. I wouldn't have known the book existed if Lawrence Block hadn't called me and said, I remember Don writing this book. And I remember reading it 50 years ago, and I loved it, and Don never published it. He tried when he was much younger, and at the time, people said, his agent said, publishers said, it's too long, it's depressing, it's too literary, just give us some more of those tight, short crime novels that you do so well. And that's what he did. He wrote more of those tight short crime novels, and he put memory in a drawer. He never took it out again, except I found the, the manuscript had some handwritten corrections on it. So I get the feeling he, he did work on it over the years, but he never tried to sell it. And uh, when he died, Larry got in touch with me and said, you know, this book was so good. I think it's terrible that it never got published. Could you, could you read it? I, of course, I said, I'd be glad to, but we had to find a copy. And with all the papers Don had, he wrote more than 100 books. It's a miracle that uh, his his widow, Abby, was able to find the manuscript. But almost the first place she looked, it was there. And she sent it to me, and, and 
and we published it. I think it's it's very noir in the sense that it's about somebody who's being beaten down by circumstances he can't understand. There are dark forces that he doesn't comprehend, you know, pushing him down under their cosmic thumb, grinding him into the dirt. But it's not really a crime no. because the only crime takes place on page one when the guy's beaten in the head with a chair. So I, I think I was proud to publish it because it's such a good book, and it does sort of fit the spirit of hard case crime, but it's not no, it, we did talk about it being noir. Is in that it's has a it's it's set in a noir universe. The character, that's it, exactly. you know, everyone's a user, and he's oh, it's it's a it's a heartrending book in a, in many yeah, ways. It's a pain, painful book. But I have uh, I have a piece of news for you on that front too, which uh, I don't think I've talked about publicly anywhere. Uh, we thought that this was the last unpublished Westlake novel. Uh, we thought there were no others in existence, and we said so. We said, this is the last Westlake novel, and somebody piped up and said, actually, I know of one other. Oh. He wrote a book in the early 1980s, uh, an ambitious book, a long book, and he chose never to publish it because shortly after he finished it, uh, a movie came out, Martin Scorsese's movie, The King of Comedy, which had a similar premise. The premise was that there was a world-famous comedian who gets kidnapped. Now, other than that, there was no connection between the book and the movie, and it's completely coincidental that there was any connection at all, but Don said, you know what, I'm not going to publish this book, and he put this book aside. And it took a long time to find a copy of the manuscript. As far as I know, I have the only copy in existence sitting on my desk, and we are going to be bringing that out in 2012. Wow. That's that's great. I mean... Digging up all this, you know, digging up these books. I, I, I can think of a dozen more Lawrence Block books that I know about that would be perfect for Hard Case. But digging up stuff that I've never heard of—that's exactly well, that's, what I want you to keep doing forever. Okay? Yay! Well, you know, we've had a couple of finds that I'm just terrifically proud of, and some of them haven't been among our better sellers. For example, we had a book by Lester Dent who created uh, Doc Savage, mm-hmm. and these days Lester Dent's name is not particularly well known except among hardcore. Pulp aficionados, and he didn't write much that wasn't adventure pulp. He, he did write a few short stories for Black Mask and so forth. Uh, but he had a novel called Honey in His Mouth that he wrote toward the end of his life, never published. And we found a copy thanks to Will Murray, who works with the estate, and we published that. And you know, it didn't get a lot of attention, but it's a book I'm very proud of. I, I really enjoyed working with Will to edit the manuscript and when we brought it out, people who did read it loved it. So that's an example of something that's a real find, even if it's not high profile. Uh, we had an unpublished book by the great science fiction writer Roger Zelazny. Yeah, it was fun to do. I haven't gotten my uh, hands on that yet, but I, I'm looking forward to it. It's fun. It, I wouldn't say that's a plus Zelazny. You know, he, his, his strengths were primarily in fantasy and science fiction. This has no fantasy or science fiction element. The writing is still terrific. It's great fun to read. You'll read it in one sitting. But it's not up there with the very best Zelazny. Still, I was very proud to publish it because for a Zelazny fan, it's the first chance to read the man's voice, you know, to hear his voice again in 15 years. So I, I think it was it was worth publishing. Honey in His Mouth is, is that, it says, first publication ever. Uh, it's yes. never been published before? No, never been published before. How did you find that? Uh, Will Murray, who wrote a number of Doc Savage novels after Dent's death and works with Dent's widow on the estate, uh, he had a copy, and I think the copy might have come from a university that had dense papers. Uh, he also had copies of uh, rejection letters. I think he might even have submitted it to Gold Medal and gotten it rejected. Uh, and to be fair, I understand why. The original draft had some problems in it that Will and I had to fix. Uh, 
but it was no more than the sort of editorial work that gold medal would have done if they bought it instead of rejecting it. You know, it's, it's tweaking here and there and cleaning up a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the book itself, you know, 90 plus percent of, of the words are dense and, uh, uh, and it's very much the way he intended it. So, uh, you know, it was first publication anyway. Now, um, the other thing, you know, I see like as the series has developed, you, you got, uh, Ken Bruin and Jason Starr were, uh, I guess in the first 10, is that right? 10? I think they were number 20. Oh, actually. okay. The first, first collaboration by them was Bust, which was book number 20. Okay. Um, but didn't they have separate published? I thought they were published separately uh, as well. Let's see. Well, Jason was published separately. We did a book of his called Fake ID, but that was much later. Okay. That was after, boy, what was that? That might have been 55 or 56. Okay. And and then you did another one with them, The Max, which I have not gotten my hands on. Yes. Well, that tells a bit of a continuing story. Bust is the first, then a second volume called Slide, and then the third is called The Max. And it's the continuing story of this Schlemiel this 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 really dumb, uh, self-absorbed, self-deluded guy named Max Fisher who thinks he's going to be a great criminal. And, of course, he's not going to be a great criminal. He's going to be a terrible criminal. But somehow he still manages to keep surviving. Even as people around him get shot down and bludgeoned to death and so on, he keeps surviving. And it's a comedy. It's a very dark black comedy. And uh, that actually got optioned for the movies as well, although I think the option has since lapsed. But uh, Bust, I think, would make a terrific movie. Or TV series on HBO or something like that. Uh, it, it, it's I gotta find a copy of that. I, I I have a lot of trouble getting getting these except online. Um, and I go into the bookstore and I go into the mystery section and I I right. can spot them when I see them on the shelf. You know, they're really easy right. to spot because they've got the, the white, white spine, spine yeah. red font or black 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 and red and and the little right. gold medal. Um, not sorry, <laughs> little <laughs> right the gold ribbon, little yellow, yellow ribbon. ribbon. Um, they're right, relatively the easy to spot, but they don't. Well, you know what happens? They don't show up on the shelves as much as I'd like to see them. They don't show up as much as they used to. There are some bookstores that really love what we do and keep a sort of continual display there, like Book Soup in Los Angeles and the Union Square Barnes and Noble here in New York. But uh, most copies went out of circulation when Dorchester announced that they were getting out of the business, because Dorchester sent a note to all the booksellers in the country saying. If you want to return any copies of any of our books, and this wasn't just hard case crime, this was hundreds of romance mm-hmm. titles, westerns, and so forth. They said, if you ever want to return any of our books, you have until November 1st to do so. And after November 1st, you can't return any of them. And so there was this flood of returns. And basically, anyone who didn't have a uh, reason for keeping hard case crime books in stock and a confidence that they would sell them eventually just returned them all. And so right now, you can't, uh, you can't even buy our books online. Even if you want to, you can pre-order the new Titan edition. But you can't buy the old Dorchester editions because Dorchester is out of that business. So it used to be hard to find hard case crime books in stores. Now it's impossible to find hard case crime books in stores. But it will become possible again in 23 days. January 25th, all of our books go back into stores thanks to Titan and their distributor, Random House. Oh, yeah. I forgot it is 2011 now, isn't it? Yeah, isn't that funny? So January 25th, 2011. That's uh, That's just around the corner. I know, I know. It's terrible to think that. Uh, I I say it's terrible, but of course it's wonderful because I'm looking forward to the snow melting on the streets here in New York. But uh, I guess January 25th is too soon for melted snow. So it'll take me, give give me until June or July and then I'll like it again. I I wanted to ask you about uh, the Valley of Fear. Now, I I, I always, I, I confuse this with the, the the title of of, of yeah of the um, 
of the uh, adventure series, right? The Gabriel Hunt book title. Oh, right, 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 right. The Cradle, the Cradle of Fear, of Fear exactly. the Valley of Fear. Uh, I, I, uh, I swap those out in whenever I'm talking. But um, <laughs> this is a public domain novel that you you cleverly oh, cleverly yeah, yeah. retitled yeah. to make it sound like a brand new novel. But if you read it closely, and I was thinking, God, this looks kind of familiar. It sounds really <laughs> noir. And then, and then, you know, it is. It, it is a very dark story. How did you come to add that to the catalog? Yeah, you know, we, we just, well, I just thought it would be fun. You know, there, there's a tradition in paperback publishing back in the 40s and 50s. The paperback houses like Signet would bring out new editions of literature, and they would dress it up to look as sexy as possible in the hope that you could, uh, you know, maybe con some reader into buying a copy of Frankenstein or uh, 1984, thinking it was a sexy novel. And they open and read it. It's a piece of literature. It's a classic. But you already have their quarter. So what are you going to do? Uh, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to do that? For years, I was trying to come up with a book that it would be fun to do that with. It had to be a classic. Uh, it didn't have to be public domain, but that would be nice. And the idea would be to pick a book that's, you know, incredibly well known, but you could dress it up in pulp drag and make it fresh and new and fun. And so you think, okay, is there Edgar Allan Poe? Well, he didn't have any novels. Uh, what about Crime and Punishment? Yeah, that's not bad, but sort of obvious. And so I thought about Sherlock Holmes, because Sherlock Holmes is sort of the antithesis of the hard-boiled story. Mm-hmm. You know, people think Sherlock Holmes is this classic uh, detective all about uh, brain power and brain work. But of course, if you read the Holmes stories, Holmes was a jiu-jitsu expert and he was a fighter and so on. So I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if we picked the most hard-boiled of the Holmes novels, which people might think is all about mutton chops and handsome cabs and deerstalker caps, but in fact is about people being, you know, bludgeoned with truncheons in the coal mining valleys of Pennsylvania in America, and surprise them with it. You know, put a sexy woman on the cover. Don't even use the the name Arthur Conan Doyle on the cover. We called him AC yeah. Doyle just to try to, you know, force people to take a fresh look at it. And just have some fun with it. And that's what it was. We, we happened. This was purely coincidental, although not, not an unhappy coincidence. It happened to come out the day before the uh, Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes movie came out. And so there happened to be a lot of interest in Sherlock Holmes at the time. That was a happy coincidence. And it, uh, I think it did pretty well. You know, people picked it up and had fun with it. Uh, but the whole idea really was to tip our hat to those old days when you would find, like, I do remember a specific edition of uh, Frankenstein. I think it might have been a Lion Books edition that had this buxom, bosomy, uh, auburn-haired woman sprawled backwards across a bed in a yellow dress that's hanging off her, and in the background is a, a brute looking at his clenched fist, and you think, what in the world does that have to do with Frankenstein? But they sold books, and that's that's the pulp tradition we're uh, Yeah, I mean, if you, if you were trying to, if you were trying to, uh, you know, just I mean, it, it, just picking the A.C. Doyle, no mention of Sherlock Holmes, you're really, you're really, you're sort of, this is you being playful, because there's no way, That's there's right. no way you could, you could sell more books by not having Sherlock Holmes on the cover, right? Well, well, that that's right. In fact, Dorchester was very upset with me, and uh, they really wanted to be Arthur Conan Doyle and mention Sherlock Holmes and so on. And I said, you know, sometimes you have to sacrifice something for the joke. You know, if you're going to do the joke, you've got to do it. You've got to commit to it. And they went along with it. God bless them, you know. And the truth is, you know, it's not like if we had touted Sherlock Holmes in big letters on the cover, it would have sold 10 times as many copies. Maybe it would have sold twice as many. But you're not talking about that much money when you consider that the book was just, what, $7? Yeah, yeah. It's not like in the end, the difference in dimes in my pocket was not that huge, so it was worth it for the joke. Um, uh, a question for you. I, I, this might sound a little bit 
geeky, but I, I, my understanding is that Lawrence Block's new new book, the one that's coming on near the end of the month, is going to be the first hardcover edition, right? Of, of yeah, uh, the, the first hardcover original. Uh-huh. Have yeah, that's okay. Oh, what, I was going to say fifty to one. Wasn't that a, your first hardcover? Yeah, no. So fifty to one was our fiftieth book, and I wrote it. And after it was published as a paperback, Bill Schaefer of Subterranean Press. Uh, volunteered to do a collectible hardcover edition, signed edition. I thought that was a great idea, and I agreed. And he put out a, I think the edition might have had 500 copies, or it, it was a small edition for collectors. And um, remind me to tell you one other thing about how small that edition was, because there's a smaller one coming. But uh, that was a hardcover, and Otto Penzler did a collectible, I think, not leather-bound, but nicely-bound hardcover edition of memory as well. Oh. I think they 100 copies or 150 copies. But both of those books started as paperbacks. They came out as paperbacks first. And Getting Off, Larry's book, is the first one that is a hardcover original. It's starting as a hardcover. That, In other words, if anyone wants to read it, the only way they can do it is by buying the hardcover or taking it out of the library or stealing it from their neighborhood bookstore. But there is no paperback. And uh, I'm not saying that that's a good thing or a bad thing. It just seemed like you know a fun way to relaunch the series. And the book is an important enough book, you know, a new book by Lawrence Block, that it seemed like an appropriate one to do. We, we might do other hardcovers from time to time, like maybe when the new Westlake comes out the following yeah. year, maybe that'll... Presumably, we'll yeah. Um, now, you are going to do a paperback edition eventually. So yes. I, it's going to yes, fit on the shelf right. next to all my other... Uh, it'll fit on the shelf as long as the shelf's got a little bit of extra breathing room at the top. I think the books we're doing with, uh, with Titan, are, the paperbacks we're doing with Titan, are going to start as trade paperbacks, not mass market. Trade paperbacks, okay. Now, we might later also do mass market editions of the same books, but we are going to start with trade paper for a variety of reasons, most of them economic and having to do with the business, which some of which I don't even understand. But I gather that the mass market business, which is primarily these days at supermarkets and drugstores and Walmart, is just a very difficult business. If you're not Dan Brown, Nora Roberts, Stephen King, there's a very limited amount of shelf space. They turn books inside. uh, They bring them in and, and rotate them out very quickly. And so there really is no good way for a smaller boutique sort of operation like Hard Case Crime to get a toehold in those markets. You can sell in in bookstores, but bookstores are a small fraction of the mass market business. Trade paperback, on the other hand, is overwhelmingly a bookstore business. And uh, and it's it's the way that boutique brands like Hard Case Crime are thriving now. So we're starting with with uh, trade paperbacks. And then if any of the titles become particularly successful or big and people are clamoring for a mass market edition, we might also do a mass market. So uh, I am going to have to move my – adjust my shelf. Or just, I mean <laughs> uh, it's not like it does – Yeah, me too. I, I'm, I'm a purist. You know, I am a geek and I am a purist. And there's part of me that would have loved to have the whole series from beginning to end be a consistent height and consistent so forth. Uh, on the other hand, no, I no, gold, no gold medal or map back or any of the – they're never all consistent anyway. So – well, that, that, there's that, too. I mean, I, I picked up some uh, old military editions, for, which were these weird, long, skinny ones that were made to fit into military uniform pockets. There there were all sorts of shapes and sizes. Uh, I, I also think that it's nice, if you're going to do a relaunch, to do something fresh about it. The look of the series will be the same. The painters will be the same. Definitely the, the same style. The covers be bigger. That's, that's, that's... But the covers will be bigger. It, you're talking about an inch in either direction. I mean, instead of being four by seven, it'll be five by eight. It's not going to be that big a difference. Well, it, it's, it's, it's more beauty. More beauty, exactly, and maybe even a larger type size so that people can read it more easily. We did hear that, uh, you know, Memory was a very long book to begin with. It was, well, I think, 120,000 words, and 
even with the larger page count we gave it, we had to use this minuscule font that was not fun to read. And uh, now, if we do it in trade paper, you can actually make it legible, which is nice. Um, i got to ask you about 5801 as well. Is that you and Krista as the models on the cover? <laughs> you know, uh, it's actually Glenn Orbick, the painter, as the model on the cover. And I think, you know, I don't know who the woman is. I like to think of it as me and my wife, Naomi, and we have the original painting hanging in oh, our Oh, sorry, Krista. Uh, I said Krista. Uh, Naomi. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Well, that, yeah, that's okay. Uh, Krista would make a fine model for any painting. And uh, probably has. I meant but, Naomi. You know, I, I just I, I had just uh, on the brain, I guess. You know, Naomi does have red hair, so uh, it, it it fits in that respect. And we do have a table full of books. So and uh, there's a sign yeah. that says "Hard Case Crime" out the you know. There's a sign that says "Hard Case Crime." Yeah, book no, and one of my favorite covers. It's a it's one. a it's a book cover. Uh, book, it's a collector's book. Book. Yes. Right. So exactly. It's it is a book for book lovers and book for book lovers and. You know, we recently uh, gave copies of it out. Uh, I was at the roast, the Quentin Tarantino roast that the Friars Club did, and uh, they asked me if I would give out copies to the, all the participants on the dais of one of our books. And I was trying to think, which book should we give them? Which book? And I ended up giving out copies of, uh, of 50 to 1, both from, I suppose, an ego point of view, and because, you know, I, I, A.C. Doyle isn't going to sign copies no, for us, but I can sign 50 to 1. Uh, but I, I like the idea that 50 to 1 is now floating around in the hands of Michael Madsen and Steve Buscemi and other random odd uh, uh, Hollywood characters because it, I, that's a that's a book I, I'd be very happy to see made into a movie one of these days. It's a silly romp, but uh, but I think it would make a fun movie. I I, I could talk to you uh, for the rest of the year, but this is um, it's 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 terrific. It's terrific. Everything that's that's coming out, but just the fact that you pointed out three. Audiobooks that I didn't know about. This is yep, there you you've go. made my year already. This is amazing. oh, well, I, I'm very glad about that. You can get those three already, uh, and then the iambic titles, which I believe are the initial ones, are coming right soon, out. if not out. Right. Yeah, coming soon. I think one of them's "Fade to Blonde" by Max Phillips, which was our first original novel, and uh, and the other one is "Witness to Myself" by Seymour Shubin, I believe. Yes, and that was also a terrific book, uh, but very little known. I don't think too many people picked it up, in part because it is the only book we've done to date. It doesn't have a woman on the cover. Yeah, that's what we were talking about. Is is it's (laughs) they've all got women on the cover, at least you know all of them except you know even if they're sort of you know pushed into the background a bit. Got her in the grave has has uh, the woman far up the stairs. Woman in the red dress, exactly. The the least of a woman that you have on any other cover is the uh, first book we did, Grifter's Game, which just has a pair of eyes, right? Woman's eyes, and uh, that was our homage to the classic cover of The Great Gatsby, but. Every other book has a woman, the actual body of a woman, and Witness to Myself was our experiment with not doing it, and I think it's a great cover. I, I'm very fond of it. It was painted by Larry Schwenger, who did the really gorgeous uh, Cornell Warwick movie, Cornell Warwick covers for Valentine in the 1980s, and I love the cover, but there's no woman, and I can't imagine that that helped the sales. No, it can't help the sales. Uh, no, no, but you're going to see the next four covers we're, uh, we're doing, two of them are on the web now, so anyone who wants to go see them can go to www.hardcasecrime.com. And those are Quarry's X by Collins and Chokehold by Krista. They both have sexy women on them. And rest assured that the two I mentioned on this podcast today, Getting Off by Block and the Unnamed Collaboration, uh, those, those are both very sexy as well. So if you don't want your temperature to rise, don't pick these. So uh, the the new sexiness, is that because um, you're not going for the Walmart? Because uh, my understanding is Walmart 
makes the covers have to be certain. I don't know. Yes. Yes. The, it, it, to, to answer briefly, yes. Uh, I, I think when you're doing mass market, as the name implies, you have to please or at least not offend the mass audience. And when you're doing something more specialized, you have a tiny bit more leeway. And we intend to take advantage of that to our heart's content. You know, for the first time, we can be a little bit more uh, saucy, not beyond what the original publishers were. If you read some of the old gold medals, you'll see covers that were really quite explicit, surprisingly so. I mean, still in an innocent sort of way, but you had a lot more nudity on those covers than you could ever get away with in Walmart today. And so we we may play with some of those styles, um, again, just for fun. But, uh, you know, it'll all still be tame compared to the things you see on the Internet. Uh, a couple a couple of more questions before I let you go. Sure. Um, uh, is there a, a Jim Thompson novel that you can ever do? I, my understanding is there's a, <laughs> some sort of problem with the estate and getting books out because they'd be perfect. Uh, I talked to someone about it. You know, uh, yes, Thompson would be perfect. Of course, the trick is you want a Thompson that is obscure so that it's not something people have read 20 times already. Uh, but also good. And that is, that's one of the things that made it hard to do Cornell Warwick because his best books are in print. His not in print books are mostly pretty bad. Uh, we did finally find Fright, which hadn't been published in 50 years and which I liked quite a lot. But I haven't found one like that for Thompson. I have heard that the estate is hard to deal with, that there are uh, factions among his descendants mm-hmm. and that they don't get along or don't work together well. So I don't relish the prospect, but before we can even get to the point of negotiating with them, I'd have to find a book. Now, the thing that was most interesting to me, frankly, is that at one point, I understand Stanley Kubrick, the film director, approached Thompson and got Thompson to write a treatment for a brand new story. Uh, It was about 14 pages long. And apparently this treatment still exists. And there's some talk that it may be turned into a movie. I would be thrilled to read it. And I'd also be thrilled to have a current writer. Collaborate. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be great. But I haven't actually gotten my hands on it. And, you know, there you not only have the Thompson heirs to deal with, but presumably the Kubrick heirs and some Hollywood studios. So it, it may just be impossible. But yeah, I think Thompson and Thompson is one I would love to do. There are a handful of authors like that. It's too that bad Richard Stark it. wasn't available. No, well, we did Richard Stark. Now, no, I mean uh, to collaborate. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, absolutely. Richard Stark would have been a phenomenal, phenomenal writer for that book. If he'd been willing, you know, toward the end of his life, Don was less likely to take on uh, random projects unless they just tickled his fancy. Uh, I, we published a book of his, called Somebody Owes Me Money. And in the course of the last, the main character in the book was a taxi driver, and it was written in 1969, I believe. And in the course of the last taxi strike in New York, I had an experience in a cab that I thought would make a great plot premise for this character. And I got in touch with Don, and I said, here's a plot, here's an idea. It's going to be called Somebody Still Owes Me Money. And it's set 40 years later, and here's this cab driver. He's, instead of being 20 years old, he's 60 years old, and here's what happens. And I rattled through the plot. He said, that's a great idea. I love that plot. It's yours. You write it. But I don't want to write it. And, of course, I, you know, I didn't really expect that he was going to write this book that was born in my head. But uh, I, I, it would have been cool if he had. I'd love to, I'd love to see, uh, see you write it anyways. Just cause, um, that, <laughs> I might. It's, it's, it, it's a really fun book uh, because you know, every, all the prices are incredibly low. Yeah. <laughs> you go for a yeah, sandwich exactly. and it's 25 cents. and. Uh, yeah, I, I love that stuff. And you see that in a bunch of our other old, old books. I, I think that uh, it, it would be fun to write something set in that time, although this particular idea was going to be set. In the no, place. but it, it, the, the update, you know, he, you, yeah. know you, get, you can see he, it's one of the nephew books, right? He's, he's, a, he's a, um, 
sort of. I mean, there, there's an uncle. I mean, I those that term is used kind of broadly, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's one of the comic, not comic books, but you know, what gets I mean, into comic. trouble and he's on the and run, exactly. and he's just a regular Joe. Yep, that's and it. and to to you know, he's still in the taxi business. Wow. Yeah, fifty years later. Well, you know, you do meet these guys, and you get in a cab in New York, and you see these guys sometimes. You have a lot driving. I've gotten a cab once, and uh, the driver looked very strange. And he explained that uh, he had died in Vietnam. And I didn't know whether to get out of the cab or stay in the cab and get a great story. But I still don't know whether he meant it seriously or, or was just pulling my leg or what. But uh, The ghost cab. He appeared to be alive as far as I could tell, but you never know. <laughs> uh-huh. yep. so, so that was, yeah, Don would be a great choice. But there are others. You know, I, I think I, Max Allen Collins would do a great job, I think, on a Jim Thompson book. and. There, there are others who I think would be would be great. Dominic Stansbury, mm-hmm. if you were willing. Uh, there are a bunch of writers with the Thompson sort of sensibility. Um, and Actually, is that uh, Jason Star- Is that the same story? Would it make the same story with James M. Cain? There's just not enough uh, stuff that is. Well, no, it's a, so with with Cain. The problem is that um, well, there are two problems. I've read everything Cain ever wrote, and Cain is he's one of my favorite authors. Cain wrote maybe four good books. Mm but he wrote 30 books and the difference in quality between the best cane and everything else is monumental. I've actually never seen a case where a writer's uh, quality varied that greatly. Uh, you know, the, the, the worst cane is, is awful and I don't want to publish that. And the best cane of course is the classics. Postman always, Which are always in print. Yeah. And they're always in print. Vintage has those. Uh, there are a couple that are in the middle, like jealous woman and uh, sinful woman. Those two are quite good. But they were done, I believe they were done by Black Lizard, and we set ourselves a rule early on to never re-reprint anything that Black Lizard had already reprinted. We just didn't want to walk in their footsteps. So Kane is a problem. There is one unpublished Kane novel, which I have a copy of, called The Cocktail Waitress, and he wrote it toward the end of his life. I, but the estate refuses even to consider allowing it to be published. Uh, they say it's because they think it's a bad book. The truth is, it is a bad book. It would need to be revised in order to make it publishable and you know there's always a question of whether that's a good or a bad thing to do i think it's fine if you are upfront with the world about what you've done but it wouldn't really be cane it would be like a more like a cane collaboration ah. and uh, if the estate were willing i'd be open to do it but uh, but they're not willing so cane oh. so cane is unfortunately out oh well yeah still you got you got oh. a great collection of books here Thank you. Absolutely. And there are other authors that we're going after and others that we sort of keep an eye out for. John D. McDonald is a famous name that we have. Yeah, you know, that's a great idea. It is. Again, I need to. He's wrote a ton example. of books and, and there, I don't think I've read a bad one. You know, I don't think I've read a bad one either, but I haven't read one that I absolutely loved. I really want to find one that just knocks my socks off. And so far, all the all the uh, McDonald books I've read knock my socks down like halfway, <laughs> but they don't knock them off. So I'm just, I know the guy's got to have a book that would just make me go crazy with love for it, but I haven't found it yet. Well, let's keep looking then. <laughs> Absolutely. If you have ideas, you can send them my we'll way do. anytime. And, and other authors. And in fact, anyone listening to the podcast, I get suggestions for reprints left and right all over the world. People send me ideas. Uh, sometimes they're things we've looked at from time to time. They're not. And I'm always glad to get them. You know, it, it, I don't know how soon I'll follow up on any one of them, but you just never know. So anyone who has suggestions or discovers a manuscript hiding in the bottom of the trunk, and Grandpa wrote this book, and Grandpa happened to be so-and-so, I'm happy to look at anything. 
Um, and of course, also always plan to look at submissions of new material. Although to be fair, we're, we're only doing uh, about four books a year at this point. We used to do 12, but again, that's typical of the master. It's going to allow me to catch up because uh, I, I haven't <laughs> read, uh, you know, half of the ones I own. That, that's it. You know, I, we were talking with Titan, how many books should we do? And one of the reasons I proposed the number uh, four, I mean, it could be five or six, but the reason I wanted it to be a smaller number is we saw that some of our diehard fans online were posting messages saying things like, I've got 10 piled up that I haven't gotten to yet. And when even the hardcore fans say that, it's it's a sign that you're doing too it, There were two. I mean, it was amazing how much was coming out, and that made, made for a selection. But the problem That's is true. I don't want a selection. I want them all. I want to collect <laughs> them all. And, and I don't want to be right. going back five can. years to read the ones that I've still got, you know? So this, exactly. uh, this so is actually a really good much, thing. Yeah. And we can make each one a bit more of an event and try to hopefully generate more sales for each one so the authors are a little you know, better compensated and all, all of that. So I, I think this is a good uh, a good number. We'll see if, if the four per year turns out to be too few because people are knocking on our door demanding more. We'll do more, but we'll, we'll take it We'll take it as it comes. I will mention for any collectors out there, there are two of our books that are going to be particularly rare or hard to find in any event. Uh, one is The Colorado Kid, our 13th book by Stephen King, which was turned into the TV series Haven that I'm working on now. And that book was only contracted for three years. That was the deal we had with Stephen King. It was very generous of him to allow us to publish it at all. And the deal was that we could publish it for three years. So from 2005 to 2008, it was published. And now the book is out of print. There is no new edition, either from us or anyone else. So if anyone wants a copy of The Colorado Kid, it's actually quite hard to buy. Got, uh, I think I've got uh, maybe six of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, you're all right. You can sell one for a lot of money. And then the other one is actually The Valley of Fear. And the reason is that Dorchester sold out of the print run, and uh, I don't think Titan has gone back to press yet. They might at some point, but they haven't yet. So when the books all become available again in January, later this month, that's the one, I should say those are the two, that are not going to be available. So all the others will, but the Colorado Kid and the Valley of Fear will not. And uh, Valley of Fear might come back at some future date. Colorado Kid almost certainly won't. And so if you're a collector, those, those are the ones to, uh, to hunt down. I need, oh, what about a poster line? I think, you'd, I think you would do huge sales on a poster line. I, I, I have no idea if we'd do huge sales or not, but I, I'd be game to try it. It's really a question of finding some way to uh, get the quality of printing that we'd want, because you really want the quality of the art to be really good, and uh, compensate the artists and then find someone to do the actual not just the printing but the rolling and shipping and so on so that they don't come damaged i mean there are just a lot of yeah. elements to it but i'd be happy to. Do i have no idea how that market works at all no idea either none none whatsoever we did do t-shirts that uh they they looked nice i was happy with them but the company that did it basically went under so now we don't have t-shirts but we might start things like that up again with titan one of the nice things about titan is that in addition to publishing books and also uh, magazines and comic books they have a merchandising division that does things like T-shirts and posters and statues and uh, collectible items. So we have the opportunity, without going outside of the Titan family, to do some merchandise of that sort. And we haven't yet discussed exactly which things we'll try first, but I do hope that over the next year or two, we're going to do things of that sort, possibly an art book showing all the covers and some you know, preliminary sketches and that sort of thing. There are a whole bunch of things we might do. Cool. Um, now, uh, before I let you go, I, and I'm promising to let you go, but I want to know, uh, Hunt for Adventure, is that going to continue? Because I'd love to see it keep going. I've only read the one book so far, but I'm going to try and get a hold of the others. 
Well, those uh, those should be available again relatively soon. Again, those are Dorchester titles, so they went they became unavailable when Dorchester got out of the mass market business. But Dorchester has told me they will be bringing the whole series back in trade paperback in uh, starting this coming summer. So I think in June, the fifth Hunt book, which was the last one to be published in mass market, will be the first to be published in trade paperback. And then two months after that will be the sixth Hunt book, which has never been published in any fashion. I think that the ebook exists, but no physical printed copy has ever existed. And it's going to come out in trade paperback. And then they're going to go back and reissue the first four in a matching trade paperback set. So if somebody who doesn't have the Hunt books yet in mass market, those are pretty cool. Through the but, Napoleon's uh, Web, is that the yes? That through Napoleon's Web is number six. And that's so that not never been in paper before. Never been published. Never been in print. I'm very fond of it. I think it's a good book, uh, but it's never been published. So you can get uh, Hunt Among the Killers of Men, I think, in June. Hunt uh, through Napoleon's Web will be August, and then hopefully the first one, two, three, and four will come out every few months after that. But in terms of titles beyond the, the first six, the deal was only for six books. I don't think they sold particularly well, you know, and it might be because of the problems Dorchester was having, or it might just be because people aren't used to buying adventure fiction anymore the way they buy crime fiction. You know, every bookstore still has a crime mm-hmm. fiction section. No bookstore has an adventure fiction section. So people weren't even sure where to shelve these books. And so I've never seen one on a shelf. I've only got them online. You know, I, I saw them in some uh, wire racks, which was fun. You know, if you go to a Barnes and Noble, sometimes they have them in those standing vertical gondolas. But, uh, we didn't see them too many places, and unfortunately, it showed in the sales. So I don't think, unless the sales really pick up with the new trade paperback editions, I don't think Dorchester's likely to commission more. Uh, but maybe at some point, we'll get the rights back from Dorchester and do some more. I have a storyline that I've been playing with for one that involves the coffin of Attila the Hun, and I have not yet written that one, so maybe I'll get to that eventually. And if not, I will come up with a different character, and he won't be named Gabriel Hunt, but he'll, he'll go hunting for the yeah. I, I, you know, I've only I've only got the I've only got the one ever. So I, my question is, um, do the back uh, do do each of them have a little novella or short story in the back? Is like like the one no, I know that was just the one you read. So in, in Hunt Through the Cradle of Fear, which I was the uncredited real author <laughs> of, we uh, had a bit of room at the back, and I had this uh, novelette that I'd written or novella that was not about Gabriel Hunt. It was an adventure story in the Indiana Jones vein. But it was not about this character, but it was actually a novelette I had written to pitch the idea to Dorchester. I said, here's an example of adventure fiction. I don't know what the character will be, but this just will give you the flavor. And I was very fond of the story and had never published it anywhere. So just as an extra treat, sort of a hidden track on on the CD, uh, I included it at the end of Hunt Through the Cradle of Fear. But none of the other five Hunt titles have something like that in them. They all end with a preview chapter from the subsequent book. So you get a little taste of the next book. But that's the only thing. Uh, if I had had a little more time, I might have done uh, stories in the back of each. I think that would be yeah. a fun thing to do. But I, I just didn't. We were doing, uh, we did six hunt books in 18 months. And they all had to be heavily edited, heavily revised in order to make the six books all sound like they came from the pen of the same author. You know, you want the styles to be similar, the dialogue to be similar. You can't have a character who's five foot two in one book be six foot three in the next. So it was just a lot of writing and six books in 18 months, is a lot to, uh, you know, it's a lot for anyone, even someone fast. And, uh, so I, I didn't also have time to write five. Well, I was, I was hoping maybe the other authors were, well, I would have loved yeah, that. Yeah. To get a taste of, of their own. I, I think that would have been a great idea, but in, in the end we, we didn't end up doing it. It would have been fun. Uh, it's, 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 it's the story rivals. I think the, the actual, the main novel, 
it's such a good story. <laughs> Nor idolatry brought blind the eye. Is, is that a quote from somewhere? It is. It's from the Jewish liturgy that uh, has a passage that goes, and I'm not particularly religious. I just remember it from growing up. Uh, it, it goes uh, fervently. We pray that the day shall come when evil shall no evil and superstition shall be no more. When something shall no longer enslave the mind, nor idolatry blind the eye. That was the the quote, and I just always liked that phrase, so I ended up using it here. Uh, I, the story is going to appear one other place. Otto Penzler was doing one of these mammoth anthologies. Uh, not literally mammoth, that's a line of books that uh, done in, in Britain, but it, it, one of his big ones, he did the big book of pulp stories, then the big book of black mask stories, then he did uh, a similarly sized book of vampire stories. And a noir one, uh, which I just got oh, into. A, I, uh, yeah, <laughs> I took a photograph of it uh, while I was at the bookstore, and I was complaining about the cover, and then he, he made a comment saying, yep, you're right about the cover, but you're wrong about this. Oh. And I, I was wrong. Oh, that's great. I'll have to uh, look it up. What's it's it called? called uh, it's, 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 it says Best um, uh, best Noir American or something like that. And it's oh, missing some of, the, some of the um, important uh, prepositions. Oh, well, that's another yeah. story. Uh, yeah, well, you know, he has an adventure book coming that's out. That's cool, because the... where would you find adventures? You're right, there is no section. There's no, there is none. And in fact, every even when they no do... no adventure magazines? There's, there's, there's nothing. nothing like that. There used to be, but not anymore. There used to be Argosy and mm-hmm. so on. Uh, even when new Indiana Jones movies come out, and they try putting out Indiana Jones books, I don't think they sell particularly well, judging by the fact that there have been 300 Star Wars novels and maybe 10 Indiana Jones novels. So I just think adventure as a genre has been eclipsed so that people want to see it on the screen. I've always, every year, there's The Mummy, mm-hmm. and Voyage to the Center of the Earth, and a million adventure movies and TV shows, but no adventure books. And I guess people just probably think it's more fun to watch a car chase on a on a screen than on a page and that that may be true uh, but a really good adventure novel can be lots of fun to read so yeah. well we'll see i i think it's mostly old stuff you know it's classic stuff from the 30s and 40s but i think the only new or newish story is going to be your idolatry blind the eye which is in there well, that, i'm looking forward to that um uh, when I when I read the story I was reminded of the movie Five Graves to Cairo was that something on your yes. mind you know it, it, it that and a bunch of other I mean it's Indiana uh, Jones too as well but oh right right exactly no I, I think the, the idea of an aging former adventurer who's uh, down on his luck and also a bit decrepit physically uh, confronting you know going on one last mission is it's a common enough trope you see that all, all over the place um, I think there's a little bit of the treasure of Sierra Madre mm-hmm. in there and uh, and I like to think a little bit of, of that was fresh and original, but it was not uh, you know, part of the pleasure of that story is it's not fresh and original. It's it's something that pushes all the old buttons. You know, it tries very hard to be that kind of old story. And it succeeds uh, at it. But, so, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm glad to see it's going to be published somewhere else because I'd like to see other yeah, stories maybe, like that. Um, well, I hope I hope the rest of the book is uh, I, it gives you. Lots of stories like that. I, I hope it's all stories I haven't read before. You know, it's hard because I have so many of these old magazines that, you know, I, the odds that I have some of the same magazines that Otto picked from were high. But uh, but I don't have them all. So I, I, uh, I'm i very excited to read that book. And I would like to keep doing adventure. You know, one of the things I'd like to do, for example, maybe we'll do it with Titan, I don't know, would be a Gabriel Hunt adventure magazine. Something that like would be that. a great idea. And, An adventure I magazine have, would be exactly what, I mean, not that magazines are doing that great anyways, but. Well, that's it. I don't know that it's a smart idea, really, but, but it'll be fun. We still need adventure, and we need it in prose. We don't want it in movies only. 
I, I agree. I mean, you can also imagine adventure comic books, something like that. But those don't do very well either. You know, it's funny. Superheroes, horror, even crime. But adventure comics just don't do well. Uh, zombie zombies are very popular, but I, I think I think adventure may be on the rise. Let's hope it is. Anyway, well, let's hope it is. I, I've certainly been doing my part in Hollywood. Every time I go out to LA, I spend at least a third of my time doing pitch meetings in various different uh, studios, trying to convince them that adventure is what they should be doing, and specifically Gabriel Hunt. Uh, and then, of course, you see some successes and some failures. I think every time there's a very high profile, expensive failure like Prince of Persia which did okay at the box office but wasn't a huge smash, uh, it makes it hard to get the next one made. I guess uh, you have to turn it into a video game first, and then they'll, they'll accept it. you that's as a legitimate... Oh, well, you know, I, I'm open to that, too. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, we've, got, uh, we've got to think broadly. Um, is, the, is there any um, chance of putting the, the Gabriel Hunt Bible online so people can go in and write sure. their, own, their own adventures? I think I, I, I will. Uh, Putting the Bible online, I don't see any reason not to do that. That's a neat idea, and I'll, I'll probably go ahead and do it on the website. Uh, I haven't done it yet. In terms of uh, people writing their own, well, I'm always happy for people to write fan fiction. That's that what I'm saying, great. yeah. I think that would be terrific. I, I would also be perfectly happy personally with people writing their own Gabriel Hunt novels, but since Dorchester still owns the rights to publish Gabriel Hunt novels, I have to be, tread carefully there. Uh, so people can't just go and write and publish Gabriel Hunt novels, but I'd be just delighted to read some, some short stories about the character and uh, yeah, I, I think that'd be great. Great, because I, I know some people who, who are really into adventure, and and I, I think they'll like yeah. this series. So, excellent. Well, I, I'm I'm thrilled, and I, I'd love to see what they do with it. Thanks so much. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. 